0: I want to use these testimonies and these baptisms to uh, highlight uh, the importance of identity with the Lord Jesus. And to begin, I want to take you to a short little vignette found in Matthew chapter one, twenty-one. So if you have your Bibles turn there or your phones, whatever you're using, Matthew 21, uh, it's a uh, famous story of Jesus interacting. And uh, the people who are, trying, uh, are talking to Jesus are trying to force... The issue, And Jesus uses the situation to make a point. And it it reads like this. It says, And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where did it come from? From heaven or from man? Now, I want to pause there. Uh, it says the, the question, their question, what they're asking Jesus is one of identification. Right? It's an identity question. What is the source of your authority? Or another way to put it, identify for us who you claim to be. They are hoping that the answer they obtain will give them ammunition to discredit or disqualify Jesus uh, in his ministry remember they are experts in the law and in the minutia of the law so they figure they're impervious to anything he could throw at them and they'll easily be able to dissect him and they're confident that they can trap Jesus in his words little do they realize that one greater than the law is among them for the person they are talking to is greater than Moses who gave them their law right we covered that last week Jesus, in absolutely brilliant fashion, this is one of my favorite stories, flips the tables on them by asking a question of his own. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from man? Now, remember for us, John's way in the past, right? But for that question when Jesus asked it, it was immediate, right there. John was the first official rock star prophet in 400 years. And he was all over the place and famous and talked about everywhere. So when he asked that question, it was in the context of the most uh, vibrant thing that was happening at the time. And so John's baptism, was it from heaven or from man? Jesus asked his own identification question. Identify for me, where do you think Jesus' ministry came from? Or John's ministry came from, sorry. If you can identify that for me, then I will identify where my authority comes from. And here's a more revealing answer. So they discussed it among themselves saying, and I would put rats in there. (laughs) If we say from heaven, he will say to us, well, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from man... We're deep doo-doo because we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, We don't know. And Jesus in like then said to him, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Talk about a classic chessmate in in a dialogue. This is an absolutely brilliant standoff between Jesus and the people who are trying to trap him. And it all has to do with identity. And uh, you have heard that on the testimonies this morning. I want to look into that a little bit. Identity is a pretty important issue these days. Um, we now have what is known as identity theft, right? And so it's something that we're all concerned with. We, we all um, try to protect that. I, I brought three things this morning uh, that are identification pieces for my identity. You'll recognize all of these. The uh, first thing I have in my pocket is my driver's license, Right? That's an identity piece. If I get pulled over, it unfortunately tells them who I am. All right? Thankfully, I haven't had that for a long time, but uh, this is identification. It can be used not just for driving, but for other things. For example, if you're going to travel to other places, you have to take this piece of identification, go into city hall, and then you have to come out with this piece of identification. Right? This is a passport. Pam and I uh, have had these. We need to use them, and we go this summer. We'll be going uh, in July. We'll be going to Africa. We'll be going to see the Lunds in and, uh, and, and, and just out of Cape Town in South Africa. Then we'll be going to see Nate and Tammy Lashley in Tanzania and Dar es Salaam. Then we'll be going north to Austria, Salzburg, the Sound of Music, and we'll be seeing Gordy and Tabitha Beck we are working with the uh, Arabic-speaking refugees there. And then we'll be going dropping straight south, uh, right below them to Slovenia and seeing David and Kotka Bordner. In each of those places, if we don't have this... matter of fact, I forgot to bring it this morning. Pam said, I might lose it. No, just get it here, right? <laughs> it's a very important piece of identification. You can't not only go anywhere without it, but you can't get back without it, right? The third piece of identification, uh, just to get you thinking along, is one that's very common. And it's so common that often we aren't looking, but it's this. Okay? I have this ring here. And I thought John's thing this morning with him and Mallory was just brilliant and gorgeous. They talk about their new life and their new identity together. Right? And this says, I'm spoken for. This says, I'm taken. This says that I have been united to somebody that my identity just doesn't exist in myself anymore. It exists with my lovely bride Pam, right? We are a unit, an indissolvable unit. And so those those pictures help us with this picture of identity. And as important as those are, and they are significant and extremely important, What we're about to see today, uh, later on in the second service, with baptism is even more important than those three identification pieces. We get to watch somebody publicly proclaim to be identified with Christ. We claim Him as our identity. We claim Him as the Lord and the leader of our lives. That's why you can find all kinds of... uh, comments on this in in the New Testament. If you go to Romans chapter 6, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried, we were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There is, uh, we just came out of Good Friday and there's incredible symbolism in the Seder service of how it it, it prophesied about Jesus' coming, who would it be? Likewise, there's tremendous symbolism in the baptismal ceremony. We lower the person into the water. It means you die to your own life. We die to our life. Then we're raised up in Christ. It's symbolic for what the Holy Spirit has done to change our hearts from a person who didn't love God or worship God to a person who does love God and worship God and claims Jesus as Savior and Lord, so this baptism becomes an anchoring piece, a bedrock piece of our identity, and that's why Galatians two twenty says this: "In Him you were also circumcised." Or I'm sorry, Colossians two, chapter two, when you talk about the power of identification, in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, there's that symbolism again, right? In which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. Baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is a symbol, a public proclamation, of the fact that Jesus has saved you. That God has done a powerful, wonderful work in your life. You know, when you think, and here it's using the word circumcised, circumcision was a very intimate sign of a covenant that was made between God and Abraham. Uh, you can go back in Genesis and read that story. And it came to symbolize God's ownership over the life of a person. Here it's talking about a different kind of circumcision. Okay, It's talking about the circumcision of the heart. And this is particularly significant in this story that we're talking about uh, with Jesus and the Pharisees because it's really a heart issue that's at stake. What is wrong with the Pharisees and the leaders of Jesus' day? What's really the sticking point there? They had religious outer trappings. As a matter of fact, they knew the law inside and out. History tells us that most of them had most of the Old Testament memorized. And that's a tremendous grasp of Scripture. But they had rebellious hearts. They weren't yielded internally. They liked authority, but the authority they liked was being an authority. For God's purposes, let's just, and for our purposes, let's just call it control. All right? I've told you many times the drug of choice in America is control. We are addicted to that like nothing else. And all the other things you hear about are simply tools or means by which we express our God-playing or our controlledness that we want to exercise. They failed to yield to God's authority to such an extent that though being God's people, they became Jesus' opponents. When he did show up. The Messiah they had looked for for thousands of years that they knew was prophesied in the Old Testament. They could recite the ones that uh, told about his coming. They missed him. And why they missed him was because of their inner heart attitude, not their outward obedience. Right? They went to church just like we do. They went to synagogue every Saturday. Many of them who are talking to Jesus led synagogue. They knew the law. They knew the stories. They knew, but they had created a gap between them and God. And what these verses are trying to tell us is that we are not to be this way. We are not to be uh, whitewashed cups on the outside and full of dirty things on the inside. We are to be washed from the inside out. And that's where most of our struggle is with God. He goes on the inside and bores in where we don't want him to go. Right? He gets after those attitudes and those heart things that nobody else knows or can see. And he goes after and drills. uh, What we know that have known the Lord for a while is that those getting baptized are in the first full flush of, wow, this is awesome. But there's layers. There's levels. There's places where Jesus is going to take that that get tested further. Ours is a surrender of the heart. It's a coming under His leadership, under the authority of His kingdom. It's the death of our agenda. That's a tough one, right? The death of our agenda. And the coming alive to His agenda. And that's why Paul in Galatians chapter 2 could say this about the new identity. I have been crucified with Christ. The idea is I've died to myself. I've come alive to the life in Jesus. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have a new direction. I have a new uh, vision. I have a new ownership is what Galatians is saying. Uh, Paul goes on in Philippians to kind of add to this. He says this, but whatever gain I had, and he's talking about all the things he had in his Jewish history that he could rattle off how important significant he was. He said, Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed I count everything as lost, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so when we say we put our faith in Christ, we're literally saying I am putting all my assets into that stock account, right? Uh, If you invest at all, there's many different ways you can invest. There's a lot of different accounts you can invest. And that's true in the world too. There's many, many different accounts, social accounts, you can invest your life in. And in this it says, I'm going to take all that, I'm going to invest it in this one account. Because this is the only account that can carry me. It's the only account that I want my identity in. Paul goes on to say this in that same passage, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul's saying here is the greatest prize in the universe for any person is heaven. We sang about that this morning. That if you're talking about what's the greatest identity piece a person could have, it would be known as his. That when all the veiling and all the shenanigans and all the lying um, happens, Uh, that's all stripped away. The true genuineness of a heart will come out and the greatest thing a person can be identified with is to be known as his, to be in heaven. And so Paul says, I'm willing to lose everything down here for that. I'm willing to suffer the loss of all the identification pieces that so make me somebody and I'm going to give that over for the hope of the resurrection, even if it means I have to go through painful things to get there. And right here is where the rub is with us today and because in America we've got it pretty good. Most of our problems are first world problems, right? Uh, there are things, we only have two cars instead of three cars. We only have an 1,800 foot square house instead of a 2,400 square foot house. We only have, uh, you know, a timeshare instead of a cottage by the lake. We only, you know what I'm saying? We, there, there are those kind of problems. Well, Paul says, "I died to my agenda so that I could come alive to His." And that it's the picture there of coming alive to His agenda. Uh, one of the things you catch in both Sam and Adam's testimony is the fact that they both came alive to his agenda, but in very different ways, right? Sam, through kindness and goodness and love, expressed where he just goes, wow, look at how good God has been to me. How can I not respond to that? Adam in a very different route. Out there plowing, running into the wall, smacking into things. This really hurts. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Maybe I ought to look up, right? And he did. And you can see on his face how he suddenly has this gratefulness of how the Lord rescued him. You see in businesses all the time, when you drive around, especially like in Linwood, there's one furniture store, there's always a sign on the big windows, under new management, right? They've been under new management for 35 years. You guys are laughing because you know what I'm talking about, Right? There's one thing to put up a a sign that declares under new management. There's actually another thing to actually be under new management. Are we under His management? Is that our identity? It's a lifetime commitment uh, to be able to do that. And it's being so strongly identified with Christ that not even the threat of death can separate us from Him. Take it all the way across the scale and comes to, if this were to cost me my life, would I still stick? Would I still identify with them? And uh, to uh, kind of draw a picture of that, I'd like to tell you about Polycarp. Uh, some of you will instantly recognize that name. Some of you think that's a strange name for a fish. Okay. No, you're not there this morning. Polycarp. Okay. Anyways, bad joke. Awful last night, Sonia. Sorry, can't get rid of it. Um, But Polycarp uh, is an incredible person in Christian history. He's one of the early church fathers, one of the first three early church fathers. He was the Bishop of Smyrna. And uh, he was also a disciple of the Apostle John. So if you've never heard of him or you've never looked him up, he's a pretty amazing guy. Uh, Many believe that it's Polycarp who brought together all the different writings and codified kind of what we know as the New Testament today. So pretty significant dude. And uh, he, um, as I mentioned, uh, was discipled under the Apostle John. That's a pretty good mentor, don't you think? And uh, if you know the Apostle John's story, legend has it that they tried to kill him with fire and they couldn't. Uh, Actually, they tried to boil him alive in oil and they couldn't. So then they put him on this little rock island called Patmos where he wrote a book called Revelation. Right. So that was John's story. Well, they tried to do the same thing with Polycarp. And because he was uh, making such inroads with the Christian faith, they tied him to a stake and they were going to burn him alive by fire. But there is a legend that uh, Smyrna one time had caught on fire and Polycarp had miraculously uh, stopped the fire. And so they were a little weirded out how this was going to work with trying to do this to Polycarp. And, And sure enough, as History records it. They tied him to the stake, lit the fire, but the fire didn't touch him. Okay? And, uh, and so what they did was they ran a lance through him and killed him that way. So he ended up being one of the first martyrs for the Christian faith in the in what we would call the modern era after Jesus. When he was tied to the stake, they were demanding that he recant. And here's what he said. Let me get to the page here. He says, 86 years I have served him. So he's an old dude by this time. Okay? I mean, makes me look young. Right? He was 86. So, And they don't know for sure if that means he was 86 years old or if he uh, had served the Lord for 86 years. So obviously he had lived some time before that, had become a Christian. So he might have been even older than 86. Which tells you the insanity of rebellion. Who would take a 90-year-old man and tie him to a stake? Right? Just tells you how crazy that gets. But he says this, 86 years I've served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then could I blaspheme my King and Savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season, and after a little while it is quenched but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Do you get a little of Jesus in there? Isn't that the same kind of response we heard Jesus come back with? He says, hey, you're, you're threatening with a fire. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it's painful, but it's temporary, very, very short duration. And you are absolutely ignorant of the fire. What he's saying to them, I'm not the one in trouble. Actually, you're the one in trouble. And you should be very afraid right now. But they weren't. So this would be literally what we call baptism under fire. right? The only problem, like his mentor, the fire didn't burn him. And so as I mentioned, they ran him through with a lance tied to that stake. Our confession of faith in baptism is to anchor our faith in the Lord Jesus the same way. How so? That we might prove worthy as well. Now, will all of us have to die for our faith? Probably not. Right? Probably not. But is that always on the table? Absolutely it is. We have been asked by our Lord that if it comes push to pull, if it comes to denying Christ and saving our life or confessing Christ and losing our life, that we would confess Christ and lose our life. And the anchor point for that in all of the New Testament is this baptism that it talks about. I have identified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I am to die to the things of the world that so have a grip on me. And I am to come alive to the things of the kingdom. We all know that's an incredible battle. But we need to be reminded every time that we still are supposed to die. And that we're to come alive to the things that Jesus wants for us. And the question this this morning is, how anchored is your identity? How anchored is your identity in Christ? What do you really, when you think of who you are, when you think of all that is you, when you think of your sphere of influence, when you think of um, what can be attached to you in terms of identification pieces, where is your identity in Christ? Are you anchored that way? I'd like to ask another question uh, this morning because there's probably a number of us here who have been baptized and we have taken that step. We've done that. But it's also highly likely there's a number of us who haven't. And for various reasons, we've put it off. We've justified and said, well, you know, this and that and I don't like to talk in front of people and I'm public shy. And that kind of, I don't find any of that in Scripture. Give me chapter and verse. I don't find that anywhere. Okay? If we claim the name of Christ, we are supposed to step into baptism. Period. It's not being negotiated. It is a public confession of what Christ has done. And if you have not taken the step of baptism, I don't wish to pressure you, but I do wish to convict you. Okay, There's a difference. Okay? Has God talked to you about that? Has God put that on your heart? Has God asked that of you? And if you have stalled on that, you are in disobedience and opening a door for the enemy. But worse than that, you're putting a crack in your identity that could be deadly because you're leaving room for the old things to stay alive and you're not renouncing the old things and coming alive to the new things. And I'm only treating it seriously because Jesus treats it seriously this morning. Are there others who should be stepping into the waters of baptism? If God speaks to you on that, all I'd ask you is to be obedient on that. You're not being obedient to me, you're being obedient to Him. We've just come through Resurrection Sunday. What an awesome day. We just are going to have baptisms today. The Lord is working, there are things happening. May we prove worthy. Would you join me in prayer? Father, this morning as we um, think about this, we want to keep it open to your spirit and what you do, how you speak into the heart of people. And we want to line that up with the truth of your word, and we hope that both have happened this morning. We celebrate Adam and Sam. Lord, we know Sam's going on the Haiti trip, we know Adam has uh, made huge strides. In the last year. It's been a privilege to mentor him and disciple him. and um, A thrill to watch him come alive. And uh, just what a gift to be able to do that. And as we think about that, Lord, uh, our identity in You, we pray for You to anchor that in us in such a way that it cannot be shaken. Lord, we sing these songs of we won't be shaken. The truth is we are like leaves on a tree. We shake at the slightest breeze that comes through but we ask for you to anchor us in such a way that we would prove worthy in the little things and therefore prove worthy in the big things. May our faith in you be our identity. And we ask for this this morning. We ask you to celebrate with us this morning. Thank you for catching Sam. Thank you for catching Adam. May you catch catch many others in your net as well. And we ask this in your name. Amen.